Welcome to New Consciousness Review. New Consciousness Review is all about the books and films behind the global shift in consciousness. On the NCR Radio Show, your host, Miriam Knight, interviews some of the most passionate and exciting authors and filmmakers she can find among the thousands of spiritual and progressive titles NCR covers each year on ncreview.com, an online showcase of conscious media. Miriam's guests are the thought leaders of the conscious awakening. They offer fresh perspectives on topics ranging from ancient wisdom to science and metaphysics, and from body-mind health to service and community. Be prepared to be challenged and enjoy the ride. Now, here is your host, Miriam Knight. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the first show of New Consciousness Review. Our mission at NCR is to support this awakening and the people behind it. And that's why I am so delighted to welcome our very special guest, Dan Millman. His first book, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, was one of those seminal books that millions and millions of people around the world look back upon as having changed their lives. It is a semi-autobiographical novel that was published in 1980 and adapted in 2006 into a feature film starring Nick Nolte, which I loved, by the way. Dan has been a world champion athlete, university coach, martial arts instructor, and college professor. His early background includes training in modern dance, gymnastics, and martial arts, and he earned a black belt in Aikido. Later, he traveled around the world researching integrative disciplines, and since 1980, he has been writing about and teaching an approach to living he calls The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. He is the author of 14 books, and today we will discuss his latest book, The Four Purposes of Life, Finding Meaning and Direction in a Changing World. Hello, Dan. It's so good to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you, Miriam. Good to be here with you. (laughs) Dan, tell me, how did you go from being an athlete and a coach to writing books about personal and spiritual growth? And tell me, did you really have a mentor like Socrates? Well, to answer the first part of the question, um, I might say the simplest explanation really is I have no idea how it happened. Life's always been a bit of a mystery to me. But looking back, I can see that I was once focused on how we could develop more talent for sports since I was a young athlete and then a coach at Stanford University in California. Uh, I began to focus on those foundation elements of physical training that made for more talented athletes who could learn faster and easier and rise to higher levels. But I was going through challenges in my own life outside the gymnasium and I realized that being able to do athletic skills didn't really help me when I went out on a date. (laughs) Uh, It didn't help when I got married, had children, dealt with financial challenges and career decisions and the other issues we all face in everyday life. So I began to ask bigger questions. My interests shifted out of the gymnasium into the realm of daily life. And I started asking, how is there a way to create more talent, not just for sport, but for living, for what we actually face in our daily lives? And 
my background in sport kept me pretty grounded. So rather than have a highly conceptual, abstract, no matter how elegant it may sound, teaching, I wanted a practical, simple, direct approaches people could use in their daily life, which is one of the things that characterized uh, this approach that I teach about keeping our head in the clouds but our feet on the ground. And, mm-hmm. and that's a stretch for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. So I ended up traveling around the world. I've had a number of mentors, including the old man I described that I met in that old Texaco station in 1966 in Berkeley, California. He was based on a flesh and blood cosmic old guy. He wouldn't tell me his real name, but he reminded me of that old Greek sage. So I started calling him Socrates. So that part is actually factual. It was based on a real person. Um, so I hope that brings you up to date. <laughs> okay. And I will attest that your book is very grounded. I, I was most impressed. Tell me, why did you decide that there were four primary purposes in life? And can you give us a short description of them? Sure. Um, You know, some people might argue uh, that our sole purpose is learning to love, that whatever the question, love is the answer. Uh, Others might say that spiritual awakening or surrender to God is our ultimate aim. And still others point out that our primary biological purpose is bonding with a mate and bearing and caring for children. Clearly true as well from a biological viewpoint. Still others might propose three or five or more purposes or even suggest there are as many purposes as there are people. And, and yet, Miriam, just as we divide all the days of the year into four seasons and the points on a compass into four primary directions, sorting our life experience, uh, the totality of our experience, um, into four primary fundamental foundation um, areas gives us a handle, a sense of clarity where we can begin to understand the overall structure of our life. And even though many people have different goals and aims and and, and things they're moving toward, they're, they're kinds of purposes as well. These seem to capture um, the essence of what we're doing here and what we're here to do. And I'd, I'd love to go into them uh, briefly in any order you like. Well, let's, let's start with the first one. Uh, the first purpose was learning life's lessons. Yes. And you, you and, describe 12 main lessons that kind of repeat themselves in different forms until we learn them. So, um, Maybe give us an overview of the four purposes and then describe these lessons for us. Good. I like that. So people get a sense of the context. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, the first purpose, I'm, I'm really giving you a, like a, a, an appetizer or a menu look from the table of contents. The first purpose is learning life's lessons, a fundamental purpose we all share here. The second is career and calling. It's the area most of us think of when we say, what am I here to do? How will I spend most of my time or service? Career and calling. The third purpose is has to do with discovering our life path or hidden calling. It's not the same as a calling like a hobby or being called to the clergy or military or anything else and our uh, passions on the surface of our lives. It goes deeper and it looks for our hidden calling that many people never get clear on their entire life. And there's a way to do that, which I can go into briefly. Um, So that's the third purpose. Core issues, fundamental issues of our life we're here to work with. Um, And they're different from other people's. And the fourth purpose uh, brings them all back into this 
grounds them out into the present moment. So the fourth purpose is attending to this arising moment. And I will go into that in more depth as well. But that's the overview. So learning life's lessons, career and calling, our, uh, finding our life path or hidden calling, and our purpose in this arising moment. So a lot of people have said that we are here on earth uh, to, to learn. It's like a schoolhouse. Tell us about these life lessons that we're here to learn. Sure. When I mentioned, you know, the first purpose, that earth is a perfect school, daily life is our classroom, I don't think anyone listening is slapping their forehead going, who knew? I mean, it's not, <laughs> it's not a radically new idea. But there are implications and applications that make a huge difference in understanding. For example, if we are actually here, if this is our most important purpose to learn, then it means we're not just here to succeed and to achieve and to win um, or to uh, gain a lot of material possessions. All those things are wonderful. Nothing wrong with any of that. But if we recognize, we come to the point where we recognize it's all about learning, then even a very bad day or bad moment in a relationship, at work, in a sport, in school, can be a profoundly positive and good day or moment in terms of learning our evolution and growth. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, there are no failures as long as we learn from them. Every That's difficulty. Amazing. So, and, and again, um, in addition to that, what I'm really saying, when I call Earth a perfect school, I mean that literally. It is built into the mechanism of things. Uh, again, as you indicated and I have in the book, lessons do repeat themselves until we learn them. And if we don't learn the easy ones, they get more dramatic, not as a punishment, but just to get our attention. So we will, we are all guaranteed to learn everything we need from daily life. Everything we need, we will learn whether or not we read books or attend seminars. Now, people sometimes say, well, wait a minute, Dan, then why do you write books and teach seminars? And the fact is, a good book, a good seminar may shed some light in the darkness so we don't stumble so much so we can learn the lessons of daily life more gracefully, maybe save us a little time and a little unnecessary pain. That's what I try to do in my various books. And, and you know, bringing, providing this also, um, this context, that in the past, I've described each of my books. They've just popped up like planes on a runway waiting for takeoff. And I haven't written them in any particular order strategically. I waited until they told me, this is, this is time to write me. And there were times it wasn't right, and I waited. Um, each book I describe as a facet, a different facet of what I call the peaceful warrior's way. Or I've called them each a piece of the puzzle. And for the first time, this little book of big ideas, it's only 150 pages, but a lot in it, as you've noticed, the four purposes of life for the first time, I put the pieces of the puzzle together in a, in a much more clear context. So if I've written about 12 gateways in a past book to personal growth, if I've written about spiritual laws, um, if I've written about a life purpose system in my book, The Laws of Spirit, now I've distilled the essence of some of these with new material, of course, into a whole new context so we really get a grasp on our purpose in life. You know, something you said in your book really resonated with me. You said that our greatest single challenge in every area of self-improvement is transforming knowledge into action. Wow. Yes. Yes. 
we've all read the spiritual journals like Reader's Digest or Cosmopolitan. You know, I mean, any magazine today has these things that were considered esoteric secrets in the past. So it's not as if we don't know it's good to do regular moderate exercise almost every day or to eat a balanced diet. But turning what we know into what we actually do, whether it's in the material realm, the spiritual realm, uh, you know, we say it would be good to meditate, but turning what we know is good into what we do. That's the one, perhaps one of our biggest challenges in the world today. Now, I want to provide this as a context. Where you read that was in the first purpose, learning life's lessons, because in that first purpose, somebody may say, Dan, fine, we're here to learn, but what courses do we have to take to graduate? And as a matter of fact, I provide a summary of the 12 required courses every single one of us, every listener is taking in his or her daily life. And you were just uh, quoting from the second um, the second purpose, which is about reclaiming our will and understanding uh, the importance of action in our lives and, and understanding that thinking about doing something is the same as not doing it. And so I go into how to turn what we know into what we actually do. And one of the keys is it's fine to dream big, but start small and then connect the dots. For For example... I've done an exercise, a workout. I call the Peaceful Warrior Workout. I've done this every single day for the last probably 27 years. It is a series of flowing movement, deep breathing, and tension release that is designed to be accomplished totally in less than four minutes a day. It's based on the principle a little of something is better than a lot of nothing. So if somebody wants to start an exercise routine, if they want to... Um, start meditating, for example, and they know it's a good healthful practice uh, for the psyche as well as the body. Start small. T- start meditating for 30 seconds a day and then you can do it every day. Um, that's, well, that's one of the keys to turning what we know into what we actually do. Wise advice indeed. Dan, you talk about our understanding of love evolving from something that we receive to something that we give, and that with maturity, we gain the capacity to show loving kindness to others, even when we don't feel like it. Now, at the end of the book, you suggest that we don't need to feel compassionate or peaceful, confident, courageous, happy, or kind. We only need to behave that way, and that that's the heart of the warrior's way. So I want to know, isn't that being a bit inauthentic? That's a very good question. Yes, it seems like pretense or denial to feel one way and behave another. But let me ask you and your listeners a question. Is it pretense or denial for someone to feel fear but behave courageously? No. I think we'd consider that a virtue, wouldn't we? Yeah. Uh, in fact, in the realm of fear, which is one of those courses we're here to to, um, to master in the course of our daily life, facing our fears, um, heroes and cowards feel exactly the same fear. They just respond differently. And if someone is, let's say, a soldier and they're running out to save a comrade with bullets whizzing by, they may be terrified, but they're going to behave with courage anyway. It's how we behave. So the way I teach is a way of it's not the way of internal subjectivity my emphasis is not in fixing our inside so we can have just the right emotions and have a quiet mind and positive thoughts so finally we can fix our insides and then go out and live well and we spend years and years 
trying to find techniques and methods to fix ourselves so we can finally go out and behave well. Well, I'm saying let's skip that step. And let me let me put it in this way. This is one um, clear way to put it. Um, there are two – to progress toward your goals, choose one of two following methods. The first one is very popular, Miriam. Uh, the second one is the one I actually recommend. And here's the first approach to uh, turning what we know into what we do and following our dreams. We have to find a way to quiet our mind, create empowering beliefs, raise our self-esteem and practice positive self-talk to find our focus <laughs> and affirm our power so we can free our emotions and visualize positive outcomes so that we can develop the confidence to generate the courage, to find the determination, to make the commitment, to feel sufficiently motivated to do whatever it is we need to do. Phew. <laughs> That's very popular actually. Um, and there's another approach. We can just do it. And life is always going to come down to what will you do in this moment. Life comes at us in waves. And we can't control the waves. We can't predict them. But we can learn to surf. Very, very interesting. Uh, I remember years ago, uh, uh, James Twyman was presenting the, this kind of secret of life from the uh, children, the psychic children in Bulgaria, and their secret word was pretend. And that goes right along with what you're saying. When you actually put yourself out there, um, you start feeling that way too, I guess. No, actually you may not. I have a friend who's terrified of flying. And I mean white knuckle, uh, heart palpations, shaking, a sweat, uh, and he flies thousands of miles every year to Japan because he teaches there. And so he needs to do it, so he does it. And he's been doing it for years, and he's still afraid of flying. He said, well, I'm not really afraid of flying, Dan. He said, I'm actually just afraid of crashing. But <laughs> um, he said, I discovered something in being afraid and flying anyway. He said, I discovered that when people say, I can't do this, I don't fly because I'm afraid. He said, no, that's not why they don't fly. They don't fly because they don't buy a ticket. They don't walk onto the airplane and fasten their seatbelts. So again, it's this idea of we can allow our feelings. We can, we can accept our feelings and thoughts. Whatever they may be is natural to us in the moment. Feelings, emotions are like the weather. Now, they're valuable. Emotions can give valuable information. If someone's miserable in a job or in a relationship for years or weeks or months, there's something that needs to be attended to. It's not about ignoring emotions or devaluing them in any way. Mm -hmm. I feel my emotions more fully than ever before, but I'm not trying to fix them, run from them, or hide from them. I'm allowing them as natural to me in that moment. But meanwhile, I focus on what is my purpose in this moment and then I do whatever needs to be done in line with that purpose, whether I'm having positive or negative thoughts, whether I'm feeling confident or shy. What is my purpose? I go out and I do it. And that is uh, a very good approach to living functionally and living well, wisely and well. So it is a different approach than, mm. than is often taught with the secret and laws of mysterious yeah, laws yeah. and wishing and intending. If we only do that, then our lives will just fall into place. Um, I've, the horse I'm betting on is effort over time. That's what I've found has worked for me. Very practical advice. Now, the second purpose deals with finding your career and calling. Why is it important to differentiate between, it, between the two? 
Well, one reason it's important to differentiate between career and calling is because we're told idealistic advice. Follow your heart. Do what you love and all the money will follow. Well, maybe in some cases it will. In other cases it may not. Yet it is good advice. I once told my daughters when they were young, I said, do what you love and get someone to pay you for it. Um, It seems like good advice, but again, in the real world, we have to uh, adapt to our changing circumstances. The economy at the present time is more difficult, more challenging. It goes in cycles. So career, to understand this, the difference between the two, career uh, is our our day job. Our career, we do it primarily for income. We may enjoy our work. It may be meaningful to us. We may like the people we work with. But if we weren't getting paid at all for it, we probably would do something else. That's what career is about, earning an income for ourselves and family. Whereas calling doesn't necessarily involve any actual income. It may. But we do our calling because we are called to do it. George Balanchine, the um, dance teacher, once said, I'm not looking for people who want to dance. I'm looking for people who need to dance. And our calling is like that need. It is calling us. Some people are called to the military, to the clergy. Uh, They're called to music, playing a musical instrument. There's something about it that captures their imagination. So it can range from hobbies, pastimes, pursuits, passions, um, to really a higher sense of service in the world, philanthropic organizations, and so on. So some people, like myself, I can only speak for myself, I've combined my career and calling. I love doing what I I do. I do it for free um, if I could afford to. Um, But it is my passion as well as the work I do in the world. And for other people, though, it's separate and that's fine too. They do their career. They, you know, they're good at their job and they put in their hours. And then in their discretionary time, they pursue interests, hobbies, calling and um, working on their guitar, you know, to hopefully one day become a musician. So a calling can become a career if it begins to earn a living. Uh, And a career can even develop into a calling if someone is really dedicated to it. But they are often separate areas of life. And it's important to differentiate because unless Mm -hmm. someone wants to be a starving artist, um, you know, when I sold my first book, my agent gave me a good advice. He said, don't quit your day job yet. <laughs> How encouraging. Yes. So, it, But it's practical. It's practical. So sometimes, you know, the best thing I'd say to an artist or entrepreneur is if you're pursuing your, your dreams, have a stable job at the same time so that you can at least have a foundation under you while you pursue uh, your dreams. Mm-hmm. Now, how about young people? You say that it's it could be counterproductive to pressure them into choosing a career path before they really know themselves. How can we Absolutely. help them? To, how can we help them discover what they really want to do as opposed to what they think they should be doing? Well, there is a phase in life that that many young people would like to get past, but there is no way to actually avoid it. It's called the trying 20s. Whether or not someone uh, uh, stops their formal academic schooling out of high school or goes to college or graduate school, through the 20s, we are just getting to know ourselves. Our brain's still maturing through 25, 26 years old. It's still changing. And the trying 20s are called that because in our 20s, we try this, then we try that, then we try that. You know that, Miriam. I do too. <laughs> uh, in, in the four purposes of life I go into, my winding career path, people are surprised how many things I went up and down and around to try. So I've been in the trenches. This isn't just idle theory. And uh, 
they say it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. Well, it took me about, <laughs> about 16 years of, of struggle and until I knew who I was. So expecting young people to say, okay, here's your major. What, what's your interest from now on or what career are you going into? You know, kids arbitrarily, they just say, I don't know. Maybe I'll go into law. Maybe I'll go into business. I don't know. And they really don't. Uh, there have been many studies done. Oh, by the way, you can say the most outrageous things if you just preface it with the words, recent research studies show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in any case, but there have actually been studies showing that very few people, relatively few, end up doing for a career, a long career in their life, what would have been indicated by their college majors. Hmm. Our college is, is a general education. Very few of us actually – I mean did you know in, in uh, your college training what you would be doing now? I didn't. No way. I don't think many listeners did either. So it is a time of experimentation. It took me um, decades actually to finally realize there is no best book, teacher, religion, job, martial arts, sport, diet exercise system. There's only the best for a given person at a given time of their life. And yeah, a a lot of people are finding themselves because of the economic situation uh, at a relatively advanced age trying to reinvent themselves. Um, I I noticed uh, you had something about the balance between uh, career and calling changes over time and how we can transform a midlife crisis into a mid-course correction. I loved the way you put that. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, um, we do, uh, obviously, this book, I I want all my books to be timeless, uh, not just timely, but this book did come at the right time um, because even though it's for anyone who wants deeper insight into themselves and their lives, it, uh, I reach out in, especially from my heart to theirs to people who are at a crossroads in transition between jobs, wondering once again, who am I? What am I here to do? What am I going to do with my life? What is the most meaningful way to spend my time? How can I make the best living? And I go into some criteria that can help people to do that. For example, considering their lives and their careers in the uh, areas of what are my talents or my skills? And second, what are my interests? Now, you'd think that would be easy to determine. You know, you're either interested in something or you're not. But many times people have a self-concept that developed through a misunderstanding when they were young. And they go, oh, I'm not this kind of person. I'm not coordinated or I'm not good with math. But there may have been reasons why early exposure, they weren't uh, ready at that time. So we should it, – it's a good time to reexamine our skills and take stock. What am I interested in rather than what do I think I should be doing? What mm-hmm. is my interest? And I tell a story in, uh, in The Four Purposes of Life. I'll, I'll go into that in a moment. But I wanted to get to the third element, which is values. Where we find – where work meets at the intersection of our talents, our interests, and our values, that is work that's going to be suitable for us. And each of us should seek work that where we feel like we're making a good income – a fair income, a livable income for us, and that's different for different people depending on their needs and circumstances, but a good income doing what we basically enjoy. I'd like to say what we love, but nobody loves everything about a job every moment, but what we enjoy and third, serving other people where where we appreciate the practical service we provide for others. 
Mm-hmm. And, and I tell stories of career and calling, as you know, yes. in the four purposes of life, just to give people a flavor for the different approaches. Uh, you think I should mention about Kevin Kohler, the fellow I call that? That's not his real name, but to protect his privacy. But this is a true story. Um, Kevin uh, was loved to throw Frisbees. Everybody knows what a Frisbee is. It's one of those little uh, plastic flying saucers you can throw back and forth to each other. And he was very good at it. But that's pretty much – that was his major interest in life and you could certainly say it was his calling. And But his parents were getting on his case a little bit. They were saying, Kevin, you know, you think you might look for a job sometime, you know, and maybe find your own apartment. You are 32 years old after <laughs> all. And he said, well, you know, that I guess maybe it's time to do that. Uh, and not long after that, he was in the shower and all of a sudden got this brainstorm. And he toweled off, went out, got dressed, and called the Whammo Company. You know, they are the corporation that makes these frisbees. And he he finally got to their um, their promotion marketing people and said, "Listen, I'd like you to give me 500 free frisbees. I'd like you to write on each one of them, uh, print the word World Peace in English and in Cyrillic, the Russian alphabet." Now, this was during the Cold War. He said, then I'd like you to send me in the Frisbees to Russia. I will become a Frisbee goodwill ambassador. And I will teach people in the Kremlin to throw Frisbees. And it will be goodwill gesture on the part of the United States. Well, you know, they, they thought about it. And they said, this wouldn't cost that much money. They said, it's actually not a bad idea. So they did. They actually sent him to Russia. He learned to speak Russian. He ended up marrying a Russian wife. He ended up leading many, many goodwill tours to Russia from people all over the world. And so he couldn't find a job. Kevin couldn't. So he made it up. <laughs> and that's just one example. I mean, it would be great if we could all do that. I'm not sure everybody's going to just make up their work. But it's, it, it's, it, it's meant to open the mind, consider what's possible for people. And that's why I have quite a variety of, of several stories of career and calling um, and more tips for how to know ourselves better, how to make wiser decisions using the, our imagination and subconscious mind. Because the conscious mind, the left brain, isn't terribly good at making decisions. It can only weigh variables, pros and cons, ins and outs, and, our, and we get paralysis by analysis. Yeah. So, of course, there's much more in that particular section on career and calling, about leadership and so on before we move to the third purpose. Right, the third purpose. You describe this as discovering your life path. And I think that many of us have the sense that we were put here for a reason that we can't quite grasp. Now, you've come up with a formula based on the numbers of one's date of birth. When I read mine, I was actually surprised at how much I resonated with it. How did you come up with this formula? In the mid-1980s, I met one of my most influential mentors. And not long after I'd met him, I had already written Way of the Peaceful Warrior, but it initially went out of print when it was in hardback uh, years ago, 1980. And he had read it and he said, Dan, you're going to do some, I have a feeling you're going to do some good for people in the future. I hadn't actually stepped forward to start teaching yet, but he said, I'd like to do a reading for you. And I went, a reading? He said, yes, I'm going to tell you some things about your life that might uh, help clarify some, some some directions for you. So he sat me down and what he told me literally did change my life. I mean, I, I stepped into, I stood up inside of myself, so to speak, after that. I could see more clearly, it crystallized my life, my capacities, also some hurdles I was here to overcome that had been really whacking me over the head for some years. And I, 
I was so amazed. I, I asked him if he was psychic and he said, no, no, I'm not psychic. He said, I've been trained to know where to look. Well, about six months later, he was teaching an advanced training and he said he was going to teach people the system of how to look the way he could do it. And I said, wait a minute, you mean I could learn to do for other people what you did for me? He said, yes, you can. I, I was there. And I took careful notes. Many people were there just out of curiosity. But I immediately came home and started grabbing relatives and friends, anybody who'd listen and doing these readings. And I'm practicing and I internalized the knowledge. And after doing uh, – I professionalized it after doing hundreds of these and, and eventually thousands uh, by audio tapes and so on. Um, and I eventually taught – only helping helping professionals, health professionals and others, psychotherapists and others in, in the rudiments of the system. And, and then it became time to write a book. And I wrote the big, thick book, a reference book called The Life You Were Born to Live, A Guide to Finding Your Life Purpose. That introduced the life purpose system. It's based on numeric archetypes and the meanings of numbers that was first raised by Pythagoras, the founder of geometry. And... Uh, the system is not rational in the sense I can't scientifically explain how using your date of birth to access this, this information uh, in any scientific way. I just can't explain it. But you know what? Doctors can't explain how aspirin works. No doctor can tell you exactly the mechanisms. <laughs> uh, and we don't even know exactly how electricity works. Um, so I can't – You know, scientists occasionally go, yes, it may work in practice, but does it work in theory? <laughs> you know, it's sort of the opposite of what we would think. And, and I can't give a clear theory. I do know it's surprisingly accurate. And this yeah. is after working with it for 25 years. So I give the, the essence of that system. I couldn't very well ignore it in a book on the four purposes of life. So it became mm -hmm. the third purpose. And it helps us get in-depth understanding. Talk about self-knowledge that helps us to make wiser decisions this gives us a much clearer sense of really who we are, what we're doing here, and how we're unique, but also how we share certain patterns with other people on our life path. So that, that's the third purpose. Would you say that a concept like karma plays a role in it? Um, well, in, in, a, in a way, one could – yeah, there are things you can you can do things with this understanding. Once you understand how to access the information for yourself, for your children, for your parents, for other loved ones, and it shows how to do that. Um, by the way, I might interrupt myself to say that any of your listeners can go directly to my homepage and click on Life Purpose. And they can go to the Life Purpose Calculator, which is right there, once they click on it, and Put their date of birth in or anybody's date of birth they like and immediately see a birth number and a paragraph of information. It's just a teaser. It's just a little bit, an appetizer, but giving them some, um, some central information about core issues of their life. They can do that anytime. And in fact, in the book, when it comes time to calculate one's birth number, I just recommend people go to my website, peacefulwarrior.com dot com and click on life purpose use that calculator it's a very quick accurate way of doing it but if somebody wants to do the math uh, in the back of the book I, I show them how to do that i do recommend it to our listeners because it's a lot of fun and really quite illuminating now let's move on to the fourth purpose dan it, it, it deals with each arising moment can you tell us what you mean by saying that there's no such thing as a future decision well, the decisions we make, Miriam, um, we, we think we make. We make them up in our head. 
I think I'll do this. I think I'll do that. Let me tell you a quick story from one of my earlier books called The Laws of Spirit. This ageless woman sage up in the mountains is, is teaching me various spiritual laws. And we come to a fork in the road and she says, which path do you choose? And I looked at both of them and I went, I choose this one. I pointed to the one on the left. and She said, uh, thank you. Now, please make a decision. And I said, oh, maybe you didn't hear me. I'm going to go on this path. She said, yes, yes. Now, please make a choice. And I said, I don't understand. And I was getting a little irritated. So I just started walking. And she said, ah, thank you. Because <laughs> <laughs> we don't make a choice until we need to. We make a choice by our actions. Otherwise, we can go back and forth in our heads thinking we've made a decision. But the decision is made when we act. As one sage said, how do I know what I think until I see what I do? Mm -hmm. So that's what I meant about a future decision. We can't make them. They're always made in the moment we need to make them. But this is not just another you know, chapter about, oh, it's good to live in the present moment. Most of us have heard that phrase. There have been many books on the present moment. I have a fresh take, and I think I write about it in, in a way that's never been written about before in terms of living this moment as the purpose that arises in this moment. Because we can talk about learning life's lessons and career and calling and the hidden life path. But all of that comes together and gets integrated in this moment. The most important purpose of all, what are we doing right now? That's the question we can always ask myself. What will I do right now? And that in large part is going to shape our life. You know, it's interesting. The whole book has been written from the perspective of a person of action. I mean, this, this goes back to what you said earlier of turning knowledge into action. So uh, I, I really um, agree with you that you do have an original take and a very pragmatic one. Bodhidharma, Bodhidharma said, all know the way, few walk it. And it's not just about running around by action. If you sit in meditation, you know, sit in, quietly in meditation, that is an action. We're mm -hmm. doing something. So that's why I want to emphasize that. I appreciate your comments. Tell me, do you really think that our biggest challenge to living in the now is that we don't really want to, that we're just bored with our lives? Well, I'll, let me ask this. How many of us sit down to a meal and just eat? Rarely. Mostly we're sitting down reading something. We're sitting down and talking. We're looking out the window. But just to sit and be absorbed in that moment of l smelling the food tasting it, breathing, relaxing, and letting that be enough. That's an example how most of the time we are, we're, we're, we've all have hyperactivity disorder. <laughs> we're all thinking this, doing that, running around, distractible, especially today with so many distractions and the internet and, and private you know, the phones. Texting. Um, so we're going to have to calm down back to this moment. Yes, if we really wanted to live focused on this moment, it would be enough. So it takes practice. We've fallen into a habit and overcoming habits has its challenges, but it has its rewards as well. I want to emphasize that. It can change the quality of one's life by changing the quality of our moments. Tell me, Dan, what steps can someone take to immerse themselves in each moment and, and find the flow or get into the zone, you know, like the, the athletes do? Well, in the end of the last purpose, the fourth purpose in the book, uh, I go into the idea of practicing life. 
not just doing things because we do things. We do the laundry. We do the dishes. We, we do our signature when we sign something. But practicing brings a different level of absorption and attention because practicing it has a commitment built into it of wanting to improve a skill over time. How many are st- of us are still improving our signature or improving the way we walk down the street or breathe? So when we practice – Life becomes so interesting and we go, get into the, that state, uh, chickpea side called flow or the zone as we begin to practice the ordinary elements of daily life. And that, that practice may be the highest practice of all and it's a segue into the epilogue to my book where I go into our spiritual purpose um, and which is a nice uh, way to end for those who say, well, wait a minute, you've talked about four purposes of life, Dan, but what about our spiritual purpose? That's in the epilogue, leaving people on it with a very sweet taste. Mm. What's your greatest hope for this book, Dan? Well, you know, it, it, even though it's a, a worn analogy, uh, uh, one's book is really like one's child. It, it has a conception, gestation, labor pains for sure. And this is its birth announcement into the world. So one hopes the best for their children and it will find its own destiny. But I hope that many people will enjoy this latest child. It's not just another one of my books. This one puts a lot uh, a lot together from all I've taught. And I, it's a simple, accessible book. And I certainly have high hopes that it will influence like any child going out into the world and, and have a good effect. Well, from your lips to the ears of the universe. Thank you so much for being with us today, Dan. We've been speaking with Dan Millman about his new book, which is being released today, actually, called The Four Purposes of Life, Finding Meaning and Direction in a Changing World, published by New World Library. To find out about Dan's appearances and his book tour, uh, and also to go and find out your life number, Go to Dan's website, www.peacefulwarrior.com. Thank you again for being with us, Dan. Oh, it's been my pleasure. You've been listening to NCR Radio, heard exclusively on the Positive World Radio Network. If you missed any of Miriam's shows, you can find them on demand any day and time on her show page right here on PWRN. You can also download podcasts to your iPhone and take these inspiring shows with you wherever and whenever you like. If you have a question or comment for Miriam, you can follow her on Facebook at facebook.com slash NCR Review. That's facebook.com slash NCR Review. Be sure and join us next week for more passionate and exciting guests on NCR Radio. You're listening to the new voice for planet Earth, the Positive World Radio Network.